All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Brad Elvis and Chloe Orville of The Handcuffs, a pop rock group out of Chicago. Um, Chloe and Brad are both songwriters, multi-instrumentalists. Brad is known for his drumming, and he's known from groups you may have heard before, such as Screams, The Elvis Brothers, and currently in The Romantics. Brad is a drumming legend, and so it was an honor to get to chat with him. I tried to focus this conversation on the handcuffs. I did ask a little bit about his um, um, Devo stories and some Bowie stories, but I tried to really focus on the project they have at hand. Um, now, this conversation gets a little uh, talking over each other a bit um, because there is some like latency issues with the Zoom. And, um, but it was a lot of fun. It was like, it was like sitting, hanging out with them in person. I feel like they're real genuine and a lot of fun, goofy, silly. So though it may seem talking over each other a little bit, um, and kind of not on my end, but, uh, it was all in good fun. And, and I think you guys will pick up on the vibe of the conversation and hopefully sink right in like I did. The Handcuffs have a new album out. It's called Burn the Rails. Available on all streaming platforms. There's a limited vinyl release. Um, if you go to thehandcuffs.com, you can learn about that. We're going to listen to a tune off the new record. This is Big Fat Mouth Shut Off Burn the Rails. The Handcuffs.
was up front and then you called me up And in the end, yeah, I hope we're still friends <laughs> Not really Why don't you keep your big fat mouth Big Fat Mouth Shut, The Handcuffs, New Records Burn the Rails. It's all over the place. This is an example of one of the many kind of styles they approach. Check the record out. It's really, it's a fun time. It's as fun as they are, um, and you're about to hear that. So if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms, it helps me immensely um, share the insight from these cool people with you. And uh, with that being said, here's my convo with Chloe and Brad. Okay, um, fantastic. And um, how do we look? I mean, we have our suits on and our uh, no, looking great. Looking great. <laughs> great. You you too. Thank you. you I, I love <laughs> I, I love the top hat. You might, good, be, I, you might be talking rock microphone. It is. Um <laughs> this used to be my my well actually we this is the microphone we recorded our record I recorded ninety-nine percent of my vocals on. Oh yeah? I think I used a blue yeah, I think I used a blue mouse for some of the other uh and it's not the color blue, the brand blue, which is yeah. used to be my favorite mic. That used to be my favorite microphone. And then this mic worked better for this record. Um, not that is so not relevant. Sorry. But no, no, it definitely is. Cause there's <laughs> with the, uh, with this newest one you guys recorded, there's a different, there's a different tone vocally, at least at first I've noticed. So I wonder if that, yeah. that the process of recording it, you know, maybe led to that or if it was a performance choice. But um, okay, a com so the kind of jump in with the yes, using yes, this new record. Um, no, no, I wanted to, I wanted to give you guys where I'm coming from before I start getting weird. I guess, but like um, it, with like is most of the handcuff stuff. Are you guys doing this all on your own, or was that kind of kind of a, of a COVID like situation that you're recording from home? No, um, yes and no. Okay. No, no. And well, well, we had finished most of it before COVID even hit. Okay. Yeah, we did. We although we did a lot of. But we were anticipating it. No, I'm just. No, kidding. we <laughs> did. But we we basically we did more. We did some more mixes during. Well, first of all, you mean on our own, as in we recorded it ourselves, or just like the two of us. 
Well, uh, kind of what when you were talking about your mic choice, that I kind of was like, oh, I wonder if they did it on their own. It sounds like because you know. Oh. So when you're recording vocals, was that like on your own time at your own place, or um, did you bring that into the studio? So we we actually we actually did. Well, we started as always. We started uh, at the studio, mm-hmm. which is about a half hour drive for us. And uh, which is not terrible. And it's a great. And I just want to say visually, just because nobody sees this, they're hearing this. The studio is like in a giant warehouse building. And it's like this humongous cement. Well, cement, but they've obviously made it acoustically. Supposedly it was someone told me supposedly the building they used to make. They made bombs there. They made like artillery for World War II. You go in and it's like the most. 30 complete cement, everything, everywhere, Hall, Solid. hallways, <laughs> hallways, stairways, right. and it's iron, this and that. It's like this crazy, like inside this warehouse. And it's the top floor of this, like the whole top floor of this giant warehouse building. And so it's just, and they've made little rooms in it and everything. It's a very cool and kind of um, like, interesting building to work in because right. it's just so anyway that is you go down this grungy cement hallway and and you yeah you slide open this big old heavy door, door slide yeah, this door cool. open and it's like and then it's like oh wow another world in here all of a sudden there's like, like a gigantic open. live room with like there's different even like, even like at this one point since it's on the top floor there's like these crazy industrial like windows up there and there's like and there's still like this chain thing like hanging down from I don't know what what they <laughs> did with it yeah they like to lift up stuff anyway it's pretty unique but anyway it's about it's a bit of a drive and back and forth and we've been recording all of our albums there for years and um and now with modern technology you can move and do this and that but we did all the basic drum tracks and like the uh, basic the basic and the basic and the basic there a lot of the basic guitar bass all that stuff and uh and then i was like hey you know i can our uh, to your house engineer producer said why don't we we why don't we try to do a different environment with some of the overdubs and um so at that point it was easy you know you could put the the amplifier in a hallway or in a right. bathroom or, yeah. or in the living room or in or, the laundry room, which we did a couple of times. Yeah. So, yeah. so, uh, yeah, it and worked out really well. So we and, did like, we did bo- like, so, so the vocals, um, cause you know, I'm the, I'm the lead vocalist. Um, the vocals we did in our, most of them in like our living room, which is kind of like a big live room. It's sort of, we have sort of like an open, kind of ranch house wood floors and it was really beautiful and he the the engineer producer who's one of our very best friends you know he's been at our house and he said I want to try to do vocals in your in your living room I think it'd be a great room and you know we just we just we he brought his remote stuff over and we recorded um with and I was using this mic anyway um and uh he brought over a couple of other mics but I we decided we liked this one the best for some of the songs for most of the songs. And, um, which is a sure SM seven B. Yeah. It's a, a real workhorse of a mic for many reasons. And, um, and yeah, so we, we actually affectionately named our home studio, um, egg carton studios. <laughs> and there's another, there's another story with that. 
Um, but, so yeah, we did a lot of, yeah, right, right, exactly. We did a lot of, of the overdubs here, not just vocals, but other stuff. Um, uh, I played some guitar here. Uh, Brad was actually traveling on the road. Uh, the engineer came over and we mic'd up, mic'd up a, uh, an old silver tone guitar and just stuck the mic right at the silver tone. It's like a hollow body and kind of made it sound acoustic. And then we plugged it into a teeny tiny amp and he, it's just like, oh, you know, in the cool. living room, which yeah. was, which was pretty great. So you're getting um, two we, sounds. We over- you're getting that like acoustic uh, from like the, cause like you're saying, that's yeah. almost a hollow body. Then you get the electric, yeah. like, the double it. That's pretty cool. That's a yeah, cool it was. Yeah. And we just, and he was like, let's do it at your place. Cause you have these different rooms that, and he was just like, just as a different, for a different environment, a different feel. And it was pretty great. I mean, the studio is great where we work but it was kind of kind of fun to experience something that was a little out of the box yeah out of the box kind of thing and it it was handy because uh we have so much music here at the house like a wall entire wall of of vinyl lps and uh and things like that so and the new album we have a bunch of amps and stuff downstairs yeah i mean music house here so uh with this vibe what we wanted for the new album Every once in a while, we're like, "Oh, we what's that album, or what's a sound that had what? What kind of vocals? How? how yeah. Where were the background vocals in the mix on the song?" And I was like, "Well, hang on," and we just, just pull it out and spin it on, and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That they don't even have a rhythm guitar when the solo's going. So let's take that rhythm out and just have the solo. It's just very raw and very." 1970 to 1974 you know yeah and, uh, and so it was a it was a neat little environment to be in and having said that obviously we could do all that with you know going on spotify or youtube and finding songs to hear that but we this was more fun we though. really wanted to do it old school where we actually would listen to it on an you know an analog piece of uh you know uh, uh on an analog medium instead of just going online and listening um we kind of wanted to stay true to what our vision was for this record. So that's why we were like, yeah, we're going to listen to it on vinyl instead of just doing it the easy way and pulling it up online. So, right. Right. So just, just to, just to clarify that we could have done, we could have pulled it up on. For sure. But you know, that's, I don't know. There's, there's a comfort one being that it's your home and like maybe arguably that's where you wrote some of these and like, What it, just the the flexibility of like because vocals and the overdub stuff I feel that's the most tedious stuff because you're like okay that's oh, gonna yeah. be on top and with drums yep. you need a, you need the room you need the yeah. a, a specific room to get that sound and like that's a lot of micage and you want the guy who knows that room better than any other room in the world to not be experimenting you want to knock those out so it makes sense yeah. to like knock those out in the studio. But um, it's in, it's also interesting, like with like a thing like this warehouse, this disciplined area of that that is no longer anything is now this beautiful environment to capture like people's dreams and ambitions and put them out on a thing. And like it's it's really cool to find areas like that. Um, yeah. And then at the same time, well, that same thing could be your living room, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, um, I was gonna say, you know, I. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Gotta love the zooms for uh, for the weird like, um, but like it's in 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 the possibility of a living room being able to can can you know create that type of uh, pro- uh, sound like, and because like sometimes you, the studio doesn't even matter. You can do the whole thing out of the basement or out of the bathroom. Yeah, um, you know, I used to be really skeptical 
of like home recordings. Yeah. And because I'm sort of like old school, I feel like, you know, you got to separate your you got to separate the art from comfort. Right. Um, however, um, there's two two issues. For one thing, if you have a great engineer who knows how to get sounds, you kind of can do you can do it anywhere. And we we do have that in our um, I mean, you know, we can do little demos and stuff ourselves, but I I, I wouldn't want to record a record myself. I would like to I like to use a pro person right. who can push push me and get these amazing sounds. So when you have an amazing engineer, the engineers are so important. People underestimate, I think, how important engineering is. Um, so so that is one uh, issue. And then the other thing is years ago, um, I think we both saw this documentary about Jeff Lynn. And he was from um, one of the bands, The Move, Electrified Orchestra, and he um, Idol Race. Okay, <laughs> you know these things because you are a freak about Hello. music. You, he's so like Hello. he's like the art the the you're like the archivist and like <laughs> like like reference librarian I'm for like all the, music. I'm like the anarchist, <laughs> right? Yeah, too. Um, but we saw this documentary about Jeff Lynn, and he was he recorded and you know and he is obviously we all know he is like the recording master you know what his recordings sound like and he recorded everything in his house and I was like oh well his house is probably set up like a studio it wasn't it he didn't have a studio he didn't have like a traditional studio he literally would just go I mean we saw these rooms on this documentary where they were just like okay his like there's like a garden room he has with a bunch of plants that he did something in. And then there's like this hallway with these bookshelves that he set up a vocal mic in for one song. And I was like, wow, that is so cool that this guy who is such a stickler for sounds and engineering and production is recording vocals in his hallway of right. his house. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that I mean, that like sort of next to his stone fireplace. Yeah, it sort of <laughs> yeah. opened my mind. It sort of opened my he did. It was like, it was like, it was a big fire. Oh, it just for some reason, it right. resonates. It sort of opened my mind for that. And so when our engineer suggested that, let's do some of the stuff at your house. Um, we were like this. And, you know, plus it was great because we didn't have to go anywhere. Right. Could roll out of bed, you know, throw on some pants if I wanted to and you know, go <laughs> sing a song. So, yeah, half the album, she wasn't even wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never wear pants. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. So that was that was that sort of opened our minds about uh you know there you yeah. go yeah yeah no that's it's it i one like because there is that kind of mystique of going to the place and and i think it's a good yeah. separation of the two too and and i agree you want to work with someone who on the other end of it like i uh i think i i've been learning personally that you can't do everything well you can if you yeah. put enough time into it but your buddy over here has been learning how to engineer and produce forever. Work with him. Work yeah. on writing the song. You don't need to learn the banjo part. You can. You got a friend who plays banjo. Bring him in. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like part of this is utilizing your friend's abilities to share the thing you're making. And um, and I I don't know like because with like kind of the touch on like the YouTubes and the interwebs, you can figure anything out, which is amazing. But also yeah. knowing when to utilize someone else's skills is such a big deal. And the, like, yeah, like you said, if they're good enough, they can make a, uh, the the bookshelf room sound great. The library, 
Yeah. And they, you know, and, and in the case of our guy, I know a lot of engineers, are, I, I mean, and I'm, and I'm using the word engineer. A lot of these guys are producers too, but right. engineering is such a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a skill, but it's also a talent. I think, I think you just have this innate ability to make things sound good or hear things a certain way. And, and um, that is something that I think we all really need to appreciate. Right. And also like a psychological thing too. Like when you're running through vocal takes and like, He's trying to figure out what you're trying to, where you're trying to get it and what the record needs and how to have that conversation where it doesn't upset either partner. You know what I mean? Or even like if you're any, anything, if you're laying down a lead or laying down a baseline, he's like, like, you got to be able to, as an uh, engineer producer, get what's right for the track, but also have that communication link with the artist that doesn't say we're done today you know what i mean like yeah you're 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 basically a therapist right <laughs> right think, because so. as soon as that yeah. red button turns on you're like oh my god i sound like this you know what i mean like yeah personally like recording vocals i'm like okay let's do it again okay let's do it again let me try it again and like uh, i'm gonna try to use the soft palette more up so it doesn't sound nasally or whatever and they're like yeah it didn't sound nasally to begin with what you need it's it's such a weird like um, self-revealing thing and you have to like be comfortable with the person behind there and they have to be willing oh. to go through nine takes I guess <laughs> absolutely you have to be super willing to I mean you are bearing yourself so as in the case of like vocals for example you have to be super aware of you know you're going to be really embarrassed about a lot of things maybe and they don't care and they don't they don't think of it as embarrassing, you know? And I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how these guys can sit and listen to like 36 vocal takes of the same thing. Um, Not that it takes 36 vocal takes, but you know, I mean, I've done, I've done some stuff in one take and we're like, Oh my, or, you know, we'll, we'll use the first take. We're like, it just had magic. And then other times I'm like 16 takes later, I'm still not happy with it. You know? So I I totally, um, totally relate to that. Do you, uh, do you, uh, do you chunk your way through it? Like, let me sing through the verse. All right, let's do the verse again. Okay. Let's do the verse. Or do you do the whole song? Um, but both, uh, sometimes I'll just do the whole song just to get a feel. And, um, actually our, engineer producer who we've worked with forever and we just love him he he generally likes to try to get as real a take as possible um you know sometimes i'll go should i just punch that in and he'll go no just sing that whole line again so that we can you know after we get a take that we like kind of thing but usually he'll say do the whole song a couple times just so that we can see if we can get as real a take as possible um I mean, I like doing it both ways. I, I don't mind doing it a whole song. And then, you know, and then after after a while, I might say, you know what? I just want to concentrate on these two verses. Um, so, yeah, it's both ways, which keeps it fresh. Um, and I also sometimes like, again, our, our guy, Mike, Mike Hagler, I should mention yeah. his name. He, he like knows me so well. He kind of, he can... I trust him. Um, sometimes I'll steer the ship if I'm, you know, vocals. Um, but I really trust him to say, to know me and what I can do and what I'm, what I'm capable of that particular day. I mean, he, it's really like, and again, I think we all need to appreciate the uh, art of engineering slash producing and people who know you and know what you can know what you're right. capable of and can, and can push you or not push you, you know? Right. right. And like, and you know, we so, know each other so well that it yeah. doesn't matter if, um, 
you know, we both have thick skins. So, you know, he can say, Chloe, that sucked. You can do it better. Although he he's actually never said that, but he could if he wanted to and it wouldn't hurt my feelings. So. But in working with the working with the same guy for a while, they learn they learn your quirks and where you need to go. And like, I think there's a comfort thing, too, with with that relationship, like um, being able to be to allow yourself to kind of mess up and be like, I need to do this again. No, no. Let me just the. To kind of be yeah. willing to direct yourself that way. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, takes a while. Yeah, and yeah. um, I do. I can't tell today because it's still early for me. But I do also like commercial voiceover for my day job. Yeah, and, um, that's cool. So I'm used. So I'm used. Uh, it's great when you're working, and it sucks when you're not. Yeah. But um, it's 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 like a very much a feast or famine kind of. I've been doing it for many years, so um, it's just my, it's what I do, and that's why I'm a little gearheady microphone and recording kind of gearhead but um well actually I'm a gearhead from music which helps in voiceover but um but yeah so I'm sort of used to also having to I I'm actually very good at taking direction because that's what I have to do for my day job first for for talking um and so I think that has actually been I mean it's it's been it's been good for both uh careers for the music and for the voiceover because you um for me voiceover is way is much is much more like music that i mean people call us voice actors but i i think music is so much more aligned with voiceover than acting is um i mean unless you're doing like a animation you know where you're acting as a character but as far as just the the you know 90% of the other voiceover i do i think is much more related to music that's um that's really and, interesting. and so that so that's why i work that's why i like really working with other people to either direct me or help me get my best work but i also can you know i also can can sort of do it on my own um because i do a lot of the voiceover on my own especially auditions which where i just have to use my own judgment and mm. So there you go. Like with a okay, that like one, I definitely agree. I was I was uh, picking um, Steve Bloom's mind on some some chat with uh with like the like dynamics of music in voice acting, right? Because that yeah. guy does a bunch of uh, characters and stuff. But like for okay. voiceovers too, like there's cadence. Yeah. There's you know there's so much like musically that rhythmic and like that falls. Oh my into god, you like, hit it! <laughs> like falls into it. So like. Um, were you, was this something you were doing before diving in the music? No, or, okay. no, no. And it was, again, it's a, to, it's another story. Right, but, well, that's um, so interesting. No, I, I, su- I fell into it super accidentally and it was, ba- and it was just from, uh, somebody, uh, a, an advertising producer had come to one of our shows years ago and had, had said he wanted me to audition for, uh, I guess I'll just tell the story. He, he saw our band, he saw our band and he, after the show, he said, your voice is great. Um, it was, I was talking to the, you know, it's just my talking to the audience voice. He said, I'd love for you to audition for a, I won't say the name, for a beer commercial that I'm, um, because I hear, this is your, the voice I hear. And I thought he meant, you know, singing. And I was like, sure. I've sung little jingly stuff and stuff. And he's like, no, it's for voiceover. And I said, I'm not interested. And he said, you are seriously, you are like, when you were talking to the audience, that was the voice I heard for this commercial. And so 
he twisted my arm. I said, okay. I mean, I've had a lot of experience behind a microphone. I'm like, you know, how different can it be? It is different. But, um, but anyway, I auditioned, I went to this fancy studio downtown, um, auditioned and was very inexperienced at voiceover. Um, but I guess I'm sort of natural at it. So, uh, I got the gig, (laughs) um, and I had auditioned. It was between me and the, I guess the client wanted a male voice originally and the producer wanted a female voice and so I got the gig um and that's kind of how I started and it was sort of natural for me and I think it was natural for me because of music um and I was used to working in a studio used to being behind a microphone I I didn't mind the way I sounded in a microphone um where some people get into it and they're like oh my god I sound so weird when I hear myself in headphones and um I still think that but you know everybody does Anyway, so that's that's what happened. So it was basically for music. And um, and I was the first woman to ever do this particular beer company's mm. voice. That's so cool. that was kind of. Yeah. And so that's how I got into it. And then I just other producers heard me and then I did other jobs and I joined the union and I um, cause you have to after like a certain job. And then I um, there you go. That that's and then I got an agent and it was a weird um it's, it's not a great story for other voiceover people who really do this and studied it and went to school for it or, or, you know, tried to hone their craft. Cause I just sort of accidentally fell into it. And I never really, um, I sort of learned on the job. Um, but now it's all this. That's well, you know, just being in the right place and working on it from a different angle. And sometimes those yeah. accidental gigs pay. So, like, one interesting, like, kind of question on that would be, like, after doing, like, uh, after um, doing those type of gigs, how did that affect you musically? It, you know how it affected me? I, I feel terrible that I'm just talking about me this whole time while Brad here is falling asleep. No, I'm kidding. I got, I got, I got <laughs> some not. questions for Brad, too. I just, yeah, I I know. this no. is really cool. We're married. We're married. So he's used to me um, being the being the loud. The questions, the, the the loud questions will be. So, Brad, when Chloe's doing her voiceover, <laughs> you think her voiceover work. No. So it. So here's how I will tell you how it affected me. And it's interesting because it sort of it sort of affected me um, for this record. Um, so it is a different although I really feel like it's related again, when you hit it, when you said like cadence and rhythm and timing, that's why I think musicians and comedians do really well at voiceover because it's all about like Mm. rhythm and timing. So, um, so, so I did feel like I, I would sometimes musically, I was getting too slick a little bit. Um, although voiceover, um, modern day voiceover is much more natural than the, than what most people think of. They're like, Oh, you have to have a great radio voice. That's, that's not really the case, you know? Um, although I can do that great radio voice, I'm not doing it now, but, um, but most, mostly it's, it's natural, but it's still a little slicker in, in a lot of ways. And so there were times when I, I would be, you know, doing vocals or just, you know, thinking of the way the song should sound, um, you know, in general, and I'm, and, and my mindset was that it was too polished, too slick, too, you know, too, you know, quote, commercial, unquote. And um, so I have to kind of some, I have to get out of that mindset sometimes, um, which I think is good. It's a good exercise right. to, to transfer, trying to be very professional and polished into something where musically we want to be a little bit more real and raw and, um, 
and and not so polished. Right, but just understanding the tools because the voice is such a weird like. Some days yeah. I can hit the, the G all the way up there, but most days I can't, and it's out. It's coming out of you. It's not like you can see it. Like on piano, oh, yeah. G's here or whatever. Like so, it's a much more like weird, vague process to learn. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, and I mean, you cool. you do you do learn to control your voice. I mean, real. I mean, my I do have a pretty good control over what I want, you know, uh, over like pitch and, uh, you know, if I want to go higher or lower or gravelly or whispery or, you know, kind of a sexy voice. And so, so that is nice to be able to control your voice. And it does, it does come in handy, uh, if I want a certain, uh, kind of mood for singing. Although I feel like I do use way different muscles for singing than I do for talking. So, um, but it's, it is, it is a good, it is, it is, I do, they, it is, they are good tools to use. Very cool. Um, I, clearly I can't talk without a script. <laughs> so. Well, also that's, right. you know, that's a thing too. So Brad, when Chloe's doing her vocal, no. <laughs> but um, uh, the kind of spin off, um, one thing I found interesting, you were saying that um, Brad, you have this like, this, uh, this amazing archive of music in your brain. I found interesting that, is it true that you've documented every gig that you've done? Yes. So that's a, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. Go like, ahead. I, no, I wish I had that like <clears throat> ability to be that disciplined and like how'd last night go? I don't want to think about it. But like to be able to be like, well, it's here. Like that, that that's the thing, right? It's like a journal where you track every gig. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, and when I started doing it a uh, hundred years ago, I didn't uh, really think about it. It was just, I wouldn't hadn't really been in a band before. And I was like, you know, my up to that point, it's like, oh man, I'm gonna play drums and I wanna be in a band and I wanna be like this and I wanna do that. And and my when you were like a teenager, yeah, you were thinking these yeah, things. I was yeah. yeah, a very young teenager. And um so yeah, uh, and then I finally was, and then I played, you know, some dances type of thing which yeah. they actually had back in those days and uh high school and stuff uh, and then i'd only done like one or two or three of those and uh and my mom gave me like this hardback like journal accounting journal do you want this and i go oh yeah maybe i'll draw in it or write something in it and then i oh i know i should put my gigs in it and keep a little track of my shows that i'm playing and I, that's where it all started and i just kept it up uh meticulously uh until here it is 2022 and we played a gig and it's that gig or two has been entered into it and um so I, anyway just kept it up all the way through without missing a hitch you know so yeah. uh, so how many gigs is it let's tell him how i'm many up gigs. to 35 gigs no no um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know I've almost filled the first page. Um, uh, What's the exact number? Actually, I went through that whole book, and then I'm part way through another one. <clears throat> I started in the mid '90s, so oh. I'm like at four thousand, jeez, three, three twenty six or three thirty six or something. I don't know. I feel like after oh, you know, <laughs> you have to know the exact number. Well, I don't because it keeps it keeps changing, and and okay. I am working on my my book, my book, and uh, of all my book. stories and history stuff, and uh, yeah, and uh, I did a cutoff point 
of uh, at 2020 was when I wrote the book, actually. And uh, or when if, you started, if huh? When you started the book, right? Yes, that's when I started writing the book. But I finished it all. I mean, oh, I, I, I see. Yeah, in the book, ah, I, right. I'm just going up to 2020, and uh, so it's hard to. I the, don't know. The I, year I've of played some gigs. The year then. of our doom, 2020. Right. So I've so I've played you know some gigs since then. So I I don't know the exact number. I yeah, can go look. Yeah. But anyway, but he's uh, got he's had a lot of he's that's a lot of gigs for us. Yeah, and every one of them were great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was and, a, and very and and smooth and very successful. And everyone called us back, and the band always left happy. <laughs> Yeah. And I made so much money at every gig. Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, these are gigs. I don't know if you know his history, but he, you know, he's been on a couple major labels and has done arena tours and, 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 and also, you know, um, you're from Ohio, um, a gig at Bernie's Bagels. You know, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. place you, in, in Columbus. It's or in you're in Cleveland, right? Yeah. 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 No, he's, he, oh, you're in Cleveland? Yeah. I'm a yeah. Cleveland guy. Oh, okay. Um, I was thinking you were Columbus. So you're, uh, yeah, I played uh, the old music hall there, which right. I don't think is there anymore. No. Actually, the last time I played there, I was, I've, you know, I've been playing drums with the Romantics for like since 2004, whatever. Right. And then, of course, the before last two that, years. You were, but you had the, your own right. major label. I did a lot before dance, that, obviously. Yeah. But um, one of the one of our gigs we played was for some Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing, and and we were in the building. And uh, there's like all these, everybody from Sam the Sham to Jody Watley to what? the some guy from the Eagles and and anyway we play we oh in the War Lonnie Jordan from War and anyway it was like this big thing and we played it and but when I'm looking in this old theater I'm going God this theater looks familiar and they go oh this is the old. I forget they had a different name for it, but what when I p- had played there before, they go, "Oh, this is the old music hall." And I go, "Oh, wow!" And uh, I had played there way back when with a on a Van Halen tour. Right. So uh, I had played there two nights at the music hall, but but club wise, uh, there was a club there called the Pi- the Pirates Den. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like a well known early. Punk and right, Peru. We played there a lot. Um, oh my God, Devo! Everybody right. played there. You know, I was gonna, anyway. I played there a couple times. I was, yeah, I was gonna ask you because I'm aware. I just I wanted to focus on the handcuffs because I'm I'm sure yeah. a lot of people but go deep with you. But I was I was interested in um uh, I read about a gig you did with Devo when Bowie was <gasps> trying to sell them the Brian Eno or like get them signed. <sighs> yeah. Um, that was my band Screams. Right. Uh, and uh, November of uh, 1977. And what were you wearing? <laughs> I'm kidding. Because <laughs> he knows. I could almost tell you. He's but got like a I, crazy I have one of those photographic weird memory. memories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> photographic memory, is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> but um, Elephant. Yeah. Uh, we played at Max's Kansas City and uh, and we opened for Devo and, and yes, Bowie was there. And and it's documented and there's a live Devo album from that night. And it's in the rock and roll history books that David Bowie was saying, not one mention of screams who were on the bill that night. But <laughs> Which, uh, And they, they did end up getting on a, like, you know, on a proper late, I, I hate saying major label. Cause that's just so like 
Yeah. Dumb and old well, school, but have they to, did right. But right. they did get you know they were a, they were a major label band that you know did yeah. It's kind of like their own. It's kind of like Elvis stuff. Presley, you know, getting an interview and he goes, "Oh God, I hate to keep mentioning that Louisiana hayride thing." <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know that. I don't even know what that means. You know, but uh, you know, at the right. time, I was like, "Oh, you played the Louisiana." Right. But uh, right. anyway, yes, uh, we did that, and um, we were there, and it was cool. <laughs> I mean. It, it was it was neat. <laughs> just well, you know, this is real interesting. Like you know, coming from Ohio, like you know, Devo being like one of these bands that are so weird and unique, and maybe the perfect way that Ohio is like weird and like artsy in its own way. But to be yeah. be there in that moment, like like it's interesting that like uh, like because you guys you, the screamers the screamers like toured with Van Halen on their first tour. And like, yeah, scr- that, I think it was scr- it screams screamers. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, that's OK. It's early for me. It's too. Just, um, no worries. Scream, no worries. It just screams. No, the and uh, yeah, we did Van Halen's first um, headlining tour. Right. What was for the second album. So uh, where they're actually out of the clubs and we're playing pretty big halls and theaters and and uh, 5000 people or or so uh per city that was their goal i think so jeez but even though some of them were like seven thousand eight thousand but they wanted at least five thousand it's so people. funny to say that like as their first headlining tour like those days like five to seven thousand was like huge like nowadays people yeah. are playing like forty thousand right. people stadiums and it's like well the eh, tour before whatever. their first <laughs> their first album they had played uh like clubs and things because uh they had played a uh, we're from illinois actually and uh obviously and uh there was a club in peoria and uh our manager for screams you know we had our own pa system as all bands did back then it's before clubs actually had a lot of pas and sound systems and things and uh, so they rented our sound system for that van halen show and it was at a club <laughs> and uh they just took off from that first album and then by second album, you know, they're playing 5,000 city halls already, you know, so, uh, so that was, uh, interesting. Yes. Um, I'm going to add to that Devo story super quick. So we went to a Devo, it was a Blondie Devo show, uh, years ago. And, um, we were guests of, Actually, the- I looked in it. Don't say when it was, it don't, was don't a, spoil it for Dave. Don't spoil it for Dave. <laughs> um, so it, know, well, it was actually it was, shortly before, before Bob 2 Bob passed away, which I'm yeah. so glad I got to meet them because he also did voiceover and we had a conversation about it. But anyway, we were in, I don't know whose dressing room we were and we were guests of one of the bands Devo's. and, and um, we were in Devo's dressing room. They were the, I'm ruining their rock and roll cred. They were the nicest, most fun people to talk to. Um, they s- totally remembered that show. They weren't necessarily party people. <laughs> well, that well, it, no, we were just rolled down to earth. No, we weren't part. No, I mean we were. We're not I, party I, people either. But we had walked in, and I introduced myself and said, "I said I know you don't know who I am," and blah blah blah. But they did remember. But I said, "Yeah, I was on the bill that night," and they were like, "Oh wow, oh okay, hey," and they were like calling other band members and hey, this guy was at he that. He was in screams that played on the bill. And I was like, oh. Um. So anyway, they were. It was very. It was pretty exciting to meet them. And I have to say, if you if you ever saw them, I mean, that was the first time I'd ever seen them live. And it was, you know, 
sort of, I guess there was, would it be considered like a reunion tour for them or something? Um, uh, they tour every but they once in a while. were one of the most amazing bands I've ever seen. So musical, like so musical and so sonically interesting. That actually really taught me a lot and inspired me seeing them play. Um, and they were just the nicest, coolest, most down to earth folks. So Ohio. Yay. <laughs> That's amazing. That's <laughs> so amazing. go Ohio. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Oh, go ahead. No, no, right. no, no, no. You guys keep going on that because that's because we're so di- cool. we're digressing. I feel well, bad. I was just going to say real quick. <laughs> it was kind of funny uh, when we were talking to him in the dressing room about that night. Uh, and yes, Bowie was there to introduce them. And uh, you know, it was when it was the Bowie Eno partnership, right? And uh, I guess they had got a cassette from them or something from Devo, and they're like, "Wow, who's this band?" And uh, they got totally into it. Anyway, Bowie was there to plug them to the A and R people. And uh, so, uh, Mark Knopfler, not not Mark Knopfler. What was his name, Mark? Knopfler. I don't know. What oh, Mothersbaugh. Mothersbaugh. Okay. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of a, about the same weirdness of Mothersbaugh right. and Knopfler. <laughs> okay. But it, yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway, he said he goes, yeah, was, yeah, it was such a weird thing, you know. It was like, and and they only had a couple singles out, like on Stiff and Bump and they weren't signed yet or anything and uh they were still clubbing it but uh he said yeah it's weird here's david bowie he's up there talking and uh plugging us going this next band is just incredible and and brian eno and i are just knocked out and this is the band of the future and this is what music will be and just going on and on and then mark said he goes, meanwhile, I'm thinking, yeah, and we'll be, meanwhile, we'll be sleeping in our van on the streets of New York tonight. <laughs> you know, yeah. building them up, like building them up so much. He goes, yeah, we're like sleeping in our van, you know. I can't, I can't imagine something better than having Bowie say such cool stuff about you. So right. that's, that, that's pretty amazing. That and, is, but- and yet there's. And yet they're still so down to earth and cool. So right, right. Well, they're sleeping in the van. You know, there's a beauty. Right, to like, exactly. There's a beauty to the hype, like the 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 glory of it in the reality. Yeah. The duality of yeah. that split. Like even just doing music, I'm sure, Brad, you've had plenty of tours where like, whose place are we crashing at now? Or <laughs> we gotta, we got, we don't got enough to get to that one. We're canceling that gig. Um, but you know, what I mean, like, there's such like a, a duality to like. Oh man, you could do music for a living, but yeah, yeah, I'm working always. Like there's like there's like a, yeah. I don't know. There's it's it's and it's I find it a comforting like thing to be like oh cool I get to do this thing and be obsessed with it always, and I guess that's a way to control that mindset. But like it, compared to like you know some people, I was just talking with a, a friend of mine who's been doing like a doing kind of like the cover gigs and like he was saying that. Like he's looking at his friends who um, worked corporate gigs and like he's like they can afford to fix their bathroom. He's like, I can just keep the toilet going, you know, or fill in the blank. Yeah. And like kind Uh, of being upset with that, but also being like, but I wouldn't have done any other any other way, you know. Yeah. And I have to say, as far as Brad, who's gone from like the heady days of, you know, rock and roll tour buses and arenas and things like that he's he's transitioned very gracefully and happily into this sort of new 
modern era of, of, you know, digital music and doing things on your own and, you know, you know, and not, not, you know, I guess going from rock star to musician. I can actually use a fork and a knife now. (laughs) Yeah, you can use, no, but I'm saying you never really, you, there was never that, you know, you to, to, you know, having producers produce you to being able to self-produce. And, you know, and I think that's also like a sign of really having it in you, you know, you're a musician, you're not just, you know, you don't, you're not a rock star, you're a musician, which well, I think yeah. there's a big difference. You want to keep you know? curiosity and you want to keep growing, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like, we played a gig in Nashville, the handcuffs played a gig in Nashville. Um, I don't know when it was, I, everything, time has no reference to me now because of the pandemic. Get I don't know book. when things happened. Right. I know. Right. So, right. Yeah. So we played a gig in Nashville and the, um, and so fr- uh, friends of ours, sort of arranged it and we played with them and the band who played first was it was bill lloyd's band mm-hmm. i don't know if you know who bill lloyd is he um but it was like a you know just like a group of guys who uh just got together from nashville and would you know when they were all in town kind of thing and tom peterson from cheap trick was in the band who brad knew because he had toured with them um and i'm not trying to name drop um Paul McCartney says I name drop way too much. No, I'm kidding. That's a that's a terrible joke. That's like a dad joke. No, I don't know. I've never met Paul McCartney making that clear. Anyway, um, so um Tom Mark Peterson Knopfler said this. Mark, <laughs> Mark 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 Ronson. Mark, is that the guy's name? Mark Ronson? Mick no, Mick Ron. Ooh, Mick. Mick. Right. Mark Mark Spitz. Mark Spitz. God, that's like a it's like what? Right. Where that's the first time that name has been mentioned but in anyway, 45 years. Anyway, um, so he was he this it was at this tiny, awesome, tiny little kind of divey club called the basement, which I don't even think is there anymore. Um, it was all what, what was it like seven years ago or something? Anyway, so t- like really tiny club. It was awesome. It was in a, one of my favorite gigs ever because it was small and kind of raw, and again, just like very rock and roll, old school rock and roll. And um Tom Peterson was just in town and he played with the first band. And he he's a really good example of this guy has played, you know, Madison Square Garden and has toured all over the world. And he was fine. Budokan. <laughs> yeah, Bud- right. I mean, playing, you know, this this tiny little gig with this group of friends before us from Chicago and he stayed the whole night and we hung out and it was just like that to me, like also was a great lesson. Like someone who did not need to do that, but could not not do it because that's was, his in his soul. He was you know? happy to be there. And he's up there like trying out the amp that was provided on stage. And, and, he, and he had and, absolutely and not being a prima donna. No and, attitude. No, he was like the most, um, it was like it taught again, another life lesson about real musicians, the stuff that it's in their heart and soul. And um, that's kind of, I thought that was amazing. It's like, he doesn't care if it's not Madison square garden. He's playing a gig because he loves music so much. He loves playing so much. Yeah. It was, it was pretty badass to see that and to experience that. And again, like, you know, Brad knew him um, and, you know, they hung out and they're, they're buds all, you know, and, but it was just. And he called us the next day on our drive back. I know he called us the next day. He said, man, what a, the handcuffs what a cool band what a you cool, guys were great and you guys got great parts i love your song and we were like how cool is that this that you know is, that's so bad and so yeah when you you know um 
you know, sometimes your heroes are just your are just normal folks who love what they do so much that they're just sort of like you in a way. Well, they show you it's possible and they show you that if you put your time in perseverance is going to equal success to some degree. And it doesn't always have to look like um, stadium tours, but it can look like yes. you inspiring the people around you to do what they want to do. And Yeah. Uh, and also and, and just knowing that you're, you know, again, there's, you know, people who are true musicians and it's just in their bodies and right. in their hearts and in their souls. They're just they just will do it no matter no matter what the gig is, because it's because it's it just it's something that they cannot not do. They can't live without doing it. And it just gives them so much joy. And that is um, that is that is something that's really inspiring. Yeah. Um, the kind of like dive into one thing I wanted to kind of pick your guys's brain about and maybe like starting with Brad um, with like the whole being a drummer you're like behind the you're kind of like the conductor of the band to some degree you're seeing all these dynamics and songs build and shift and you get to see out to the crowd if depending I guess on the lights or the room situation how they react to it um, so when you started the right songs for like projects like like the screams or, or screams, not the scream screams or like um, handcuffs. I'm, I'm making sure I'm doing it right. I'm doing my due diligence now uh, or big hello. And like all these projects that you're putting your own songs to, uh, was that kind of a product of like being in bands and like seeing how they react and like learning how to write that way? Or was this something that you always done and like just had like melodies and stuff in your head and just like would write them out? Cause as a drummer, I always find that like uh, as a, guy with a guitar or something i can there's chords i can bounce off of and same with you chloe like are you like basing like melodies off stuff in your head that's coming out or do you like have like an instrument that you're kind of like laying down like music to to kind of come up with stuff over top of it i know that's a big shift but like um from where we left off but like seeing how like he reacted to the handcuffs i think that's a like uh amalgamation of everything that you guys have worked on so far to be where it's at. So like, as far as like a songwriting process. Yes. <laughs> no, uh. no, no. Um, I want to, I'm going to just say one super quick thing and then I'm going to have Brad answer. So Brad, um, before when I met Brad and he found out he was a songwriter, um, I loved his songs when I first heard his songs. So when we, when we first met, um, and then when I when I understood or I didn't understand when I learned the process that he uses to write songs, it was sort of mind blowing to me. Um, and I as a drummer, another thing that I learned throughout my career um, as a drummer, his he almost he doesn't write songs as a drummer. He writes songs as a musician. Mm. and and it's and he doesn't really play any other instruments although he can I mean he can like pick stuff up and figure something out but it's not like he you know he's going to go out and do a show playing guitar or anything but um but he writes primarily just it's like all in his head like 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 almost like how a composer you know like how Beethoven would write music down and write all the parts and write the instrumentation and compose a symphony. 
you know, in his head. And so that's sort of how Brad writes music. And now I'll let you take it. Is that an accurate description? You're sort of like, like a Beethoven of rock and roll. Uh, I guess. And you're sort of yeah. deaf. So there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I've always had, uh, yeah, I've always had uh, melodies and hooks, lyric ideas and stuff floating around in my head. And <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, when I was working on my book, I always, it's so funny to say that, but, <laughs> it's pretty uh, cool though. <laughs> I've like, I've like, and not just my gig book, but my whole life, I've just documented stuff and wrote stuff down. You know, right. I don't know. I'm like part rain man or something. <laughs> and, uh, even, even my old band members, even at this point, once in a while, like on a Facebook post or something that they'll chime in, you know, band members or crew guys from 30 years ago or whatever like you were always writing stuff down anyway and it's like it's true but anyway when I was putting it together I was going through all these old old notebooks I've saved and books anyway I found this like little journal from like when I was like uh I don't know like 12 or something Mm. and uh it's kind of basically ground zero of when I first started writing down lyrics and having melodies. I actually documented it. I was on vacation with my grandparents. And it was kind of funny. I said, oh, I had this, I wrote this little poem thing. Oh, and I wrote, I wrote this little kind of melody. Oh, I wrote a song today in my head. And, but anyway, it's like, and I had written that down. And then the next day, still on vacation with my grandparents for like, you know, it's like, oh, I wrote another one today. This is fun. It's kind of funny. <laughs> this is fun. Isn't that, yeah. isn't that so weird? It's so weird. It's like, oh, God, it has to have been like when I first discovered, and I was, you know, bored in the back seat of a, a car the size of a whale, you know? So, uh, so yeah. So that's, uh, I hear songs in my head, and then I just have to explain them and uh, hum them out to everybody, all the parts. And and uh, and generally, a lot of times when I hear stuff, it's a, the, the songs aren't finished, but they almost are. I can hear like the sounds of them and the way they're supposed to be recorded. And I hear, uh, oh, you know, in between these lines, I hear, you know, this weird things like that. Like I hear like a production thing already. So uh, it's just uh, trying to find people like uh, and be with people like Chloe, who uh, understands my alien uh way of writing yeah. songs and right. she kind of i'm sort of your translator sometimes <laughs> yeah but you know i i had a couple albums and record deals not albums but uh, yeah record deals and bands long before i met chloe but anyway uh and i'd always written songs and that I way i was in like junior high yeah no, i was in nursery school <laughs> oh i don't know if you can hear our cat meowing I'm okay sorry. no i told you <laughs> You guys, right when we were trying to figure out the Zoom thing, my cat was just like, now's the time. It was like, I, that's part of why I messed up the email a few times. Cause it oh, was that's like, okay. He was cat attacking Snuggles. But, um, yeah, she's <laughs> Snuggles? Is yeah. that your cat's name? No, no, that's oh what he God. was doing. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what he was doing. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. He was just trying. He's like, now you're not doing anything right now, dude. And I'm like, I'm trying to do stuff. He's like, ah. But, um, so no, cats are totally fine. Um, okay, but good. it's, uh, yeah, no, Wait. it's, I was just going to say real quick, and you had mentioned, oh, you know, back there playing drums and seeing right. people's responses. And uh, I know you totally hit that, too. That was great. You yeah, I mean, that. I do. I that and I'm aware of uh, audience reactions and right. things. And I suppose that kind of enters into some things. It's kind of like an interview thing I read years ago. 
uh, with Pete Townsend, and he said he, for a while, he was writing songs. This is, you know, back in the probably late 60s or something, early 70s, kind of around Tommy period, maybe, or even who's next or whatever. He said he kind of got into a habit of a thing. It was like, oh, I'm going to write songs that fits our show, you know, like, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. Bam, 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 you know, just big chords. Oh, I can jump on that. And I, this would be a good part. I could do this and Keith mm-hmm. can do this. And, and uh, he said he wrote songs based on that on part of their show thing. So, Oh, to start going along with their performance as well. So I, I suppose some of that <clears throat> enters into it at some point, but uh, uh, by watching the audience reactions to certain bits. Uh, oh, I always notice, you know, crowd really responds to this kind of a song or this kind of a part. And uh, sometimes I'll enter that into a song, you know. Yeah. But having said that, we also write the way we write and we write yeah. for us. Um, and although it is, you know, we do want to please an audience because, you know, you, you you do sort of need that a little bit, but Mostly it's, you know, we write the way we write because it's sort of comes from us, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, it usually, usually starts with a sometimes a song title, sometimes a riff, you know, an opening riff or something. Oh, that'd yeah. be a good, yeah. that, that's really catchy. It's sticking in my head. I'm going to base a song around that. So uh, kind of like, uh, in a way, kind of like our new single, I Cry For You, you started. I think I just, yeah, I was sitting on the couch just mindlessly, yeah, mindlessly playing something on guitar. And he goes, oh, that's cool. Do that again. And I was like, oh, if I can remember. So I did. And I think we like recorded it on our phone. And then we sort of built the song around that. Um, and now it's number one all over the world. All over the world of our imagination. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's 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 interesting because I always uh, with like people who write songs and drum. I've always like because it's it's kind of an inter- interesting spot to be in the band because it's kind of like everyone's following you, but that's you can engage in a different way. Um, are you a drummer? I'm not a drummer, but okay. I have oh, I have friends who you, are drummers. Okay. I teach yeah. I teach a little bit of drums, like I was okay. like I was saying before, but I would never I would never be in the band as the drummer. Um, yeah. My bass players laughing hysterically right now um (laughs) (laughs) but um i I, guitar guy and so is ours (laughs) and uh, um so i'm always interested in like the process of like i took away the thing that i used to write how would that happen and i i relate a lot to like having that ghost of a of an idea like i know there should be like a clave here but what should play it and where should i place it you know i mean or fill in the blank and you have this vague thing and sometimes just putting the person in the spot, they knock it out. And then sometimes you got to like have this weird cryptid like message that you have to describe. Um, I guess my question with that would be is like through the process of the handcuffs and like because I've noticed from the first record because I, I I hope I, I usually ask more deep dive questions at the beginning. But since we kind of hit it off so kind of naturally, I was just rolling with it. But like. Um, I went through all the records and like I've noticed like there was a strong switch from the first record to the second record with like what seems to be like kind of layering production like or composition wise. And yeah. Was that a, a thing that you guys were tra- like practicing, working on yourself or was that just like a product of the songs? Does that like kind of make sense? Or was that a goal? Yeah. Like I, this record we're going to 
layer or like uh, uh, um, what's the texture wise pay more attention to things or was it just I think it was sorry it's I think it's both oh that's okay I think it's both the things you mentioned that we we Brad and I ever since we met we I mean we hit it off musically even before we were a couple it was like you know we we just always hit it off musically and we always had like a, a, th- a very um I guess what would be the word common thread with all of our, like our work relationship and our songwriting and our production was always that we always evolved and the evolution took place for, you know, up for many reasons, you know, we, you, you get older, you discover new things, you, um, you know, you hear, you listen to different music, you're in a different mood, whatever, whatever the, but we always wanted to to evolve like songwriting wise and, production wise and recording wise and anything musically. So, so some of it was like a conscious effort to do something different. And I think some of it is just our natural. We just, we just like evolving. And, and a good example of that, I guess, is, would be like the Beatles who, you know, it is a far cry from, you know, I want to hold your hand to, you know, I dig a pony. Right. Um, Right. There's there's that evolution. Those are just off the top of my head songs. There's that evolution. And we and oh, my God, I am not remotely comparing us to the Beatles at all. So and but I'm just that's just the first band I could think of where you can really hear an evolution. But we've always liked the evolution. And I think it it's because we first of all, it's interesting for us. Um, secondly, we're always learning things. And thirdly, we just it just feels natural to evolve. So we, we do sometimes like, like even with this new record, we did, even though it's a little bit probably more sort of old school feeling, but that is an evolution for us because it's what we've been listening to, what we sort of wanted to um, evoke, how we wrote. Um, I don't know if, if I'm making sense. No, that to- like l- comparing like, like a uh, Mickey 66, right. To like, yeah. baby boombox there's like a whole different layer of textures there but like with this new one with that first tr- when that piano kicks on on the first track like that's a whole like it's like heavy it's like heavier than yeah. everything and like um i love that you named those two songs too actually that's pretty cool <laughs> for when i was going through them I'm like this these are the ones that got stuck in my head the most and i, and, and, I uh, love that baby boombox i love uh the clash call outs and the big audio dynamite call outs in it and uh-huh. like, oh thanks and that that riff that I, I don't know if it was a bass or bass riff at first or a guitar riff at first, but like, that's a catchy, cool, like that's a metal lick with, it's cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, how'd you. that come that's about nice on a side note? Say. Like who, who wrote that riff? That riff is rad. That was you. That was Brad. Very cool. Yeah. Brad is, Brad is you a mean riff. the opening? Yeah. That one. That's Brad's like a, a freaking, you are a riff master. I have to say. He really is. I, Almost every day of my life, I have, have a, a riff, riff in my head, and I like go hum it into a recorder of some mm, sort, okay, or my phone. Yeah. But uh, anyway, just a riff in there, and uh, the kind of also inspired, uh, kind of has a uh, early bow wow wow. That whole Burundi beat kind of thing. I wanted to incorporate and uh into that song and uh it probably just started with a riff in that drum burundi drum beat thing it's like 
what can I go with this? Meanwhile, our record label is like, why are you talking about a song from four albums ago? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Because, I'm totally no, kidding. Pan- <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but it pans into the new one, you know, like it's, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Cause like one, uh, like musically everything, like going through these, I'm like, Oh, that's catchy. I get, okay. I see where they're going with the title here. And that pans out really well. I'm like making notes to myself. I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. How this is panning out. And like, cause I'm always mentally trying to like solve the puzzle. Like that. No, I don't think anyone really cares about They're Like, yeah, it's a good song or it's not. But in my head, I'm like, Oh, I see what they're doing here. And like that pans out there or like, or at least trying to, in my head, interpret it. Um, but it's that, I find that as a drummer, really interesting, like, because certain rhythm, like mo- any music, even if you're playing wrong notes, you can wail on a note that's out of key if you got a cool rhythm to it. And then now the song is completely different and catchy and unique. Um, Absolutely. I mean, if uh, I, if the song, when I write songs, Chloe and I, we kind of have different styles. I love Chloe's songs. and uh, Well, you have to say that. No, I, I know you don't. You, he said that since I've met him, so that's very nice. Yeah, that's yeah, that sold me on stuff, and it was great. And um, but I, I'm all about. I don't know why. If a song, if it doesn't stick in my head, you know, or I just try to think, find things that are catchy and and that it, that it, that uh, even just like Baby Boombox, even not even without the riff. If you just did the drum beat. That's almost like a riff in itself. Yeah, you do a lot of drum riffs though, which is the coolest. One of the coolest things about you is that you play drums like it's a like it's a melodic instrument. Well, I try. That's what I. The drummers that I grew up liking played stuff that stuck in my head. Like, wow, that was different. Oh man, that drum riff just keeps sticking in my head or or like a cool drum fill that is like iconic to a song, you know? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Like even if it's super simple, you know, it's as simple as uh Born to be Wild, Steppenwolf or something right. going way back. But who doesn't air drum to that that middle part is boom, but that boom, but that boom, but that boom. <laughs> who doesn't like when right. that part comes up that's a drum hook you know you know just weird things like that and uh so uh yeah I've, and i've been it's been written a number of times in my career it man i was listening to the record and you got like drum hooks you you write like drum hooks you know so anyway that's part of the process of coming up with a catchy song and and uh, our new single i cry for you uh if you listen to that there's a fill I do kind of throughout. It's a, uh, at the end of each verse or the beginning of each verse, I go, bada do, bada do. All the way through the whole thing. And to me, it's almost kind of like, you That's know, the uh, hook of the song. Like, one get of off the my cloud by the Rolling Stone. You know, it's almost like a drum riff, a drum hook throughout. So anyway, just pointing that out and you might have known it anyway. And so and um no, like I come oh go ahead. No, oh, no, go. I was gonna say no, that's cool. Keep going. <laughs> I um and I come from like we come from very different schools of music thought. Um I was ra- like I was a huge jazz fiend growing up. Mm. And um and I'm still a jazz fiend, but uh I learned, you know, I was like I didn't I didn't I honestly wasn't even wasn't even into rock and roll until way after how dare you people, I don't know I mean I was super into jazz 
I know. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. How dare you? Okay, big man. <laughs> anyway. Ow! Yeah. It's like, right. a, it's like a Batman sla- right. slap. Anyway. Pow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you boys and your Batman. Anyway, um, so I came from like jazz and theory. Like I'm a right. big theory head. And so, and Brad is not. He is not. He, he, although he is super musical, you know, he doesn't know theory and notes and, you know, uh, time or not time signatures, like, uh, you know, key signatures and that kind of right. thing and that kind of thing. Um, so, so, so it's, it was a, when we first met, like, it's, it's different now because we're so used to each other. But when we first met, it was just like, I'm, you know, like figuring, oh, okay, this is like an F major seventh or this is, you know, and he's like, no, it's just this chord. And it sounds like this. And he'd sing like the triad or something. And so it's just, it was, for me, it was sort of like, I, I mean, and I, and I, the, the good thing is I've always been used to improvising because I sort of grew up as a jazzer and, um, um, and I, you know, my favorite, you know, I, I would listen in high school while my friends were listening to, you know, the latest radio rock and roll, I would be up in my bedroom, like transcribing Charlie Parker solos, um, and, you know, probably much to my parents delight and dismay. So like, what is wrong with her? And, oh, that's kind of cool. But, um, you know, so I, so I was really into like figuring out the, the theory of it and the, and the notes and, you know, this and that, and then also, you know, wanting to improvise so that, you know, you don't necessarily play a riff over and over again, you improvise and you, you, you know, play 124 bars of crazy soloing stuff, I've you know, played way over 124 bars. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, pull out the book. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Oh, See, I, I know my music and oh, I've played way over 124 oh, bars. Oh, I just got that joke. Bars. That's funny. <laughs> Okay, that is that that was good, Brad. Thanks. That was good, Brad. That was good, Groucho. Anyway, um, I'll be here all year. <laughs> so um, you'll be here all year. Um, so yeah, so so it was so I come, you know, like, and so, right. um, I don't know what the point of my saying that was, but um, you know, and I'm still a little bit like I'll still chart stuff out, not like with notes, but like you know, just like chord changes or whatever, and um just because you kind of can't take the girl out of the jazz. I mean, you can take the, the girl out of the jazz. You can't take the jazz out of the girl, but, um, and you know, I don't sing or play jazzy at all, except well, in an, in a, in another side project I do, but, um, on a different instrument, but that's a, again, neither here nor there, but, um, well, when so, I, so when writing, I, first, well, I was just gonna say when I first met you, I don't even think we met yet. We just talked uh, on the phone. Yeah. And talked then, on the old timey telephone, on the old timey telephone. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> and um i think you you had sent me a telegram no a, <laughs> a fax. by pony express um a fax on thermal paper no but she had sent me uh some music uh demos that she had made and and i really liked uh, the songs that she wrote but uh, the chords the chords in the song i thought wow that's a cool chord i like what man this is cool this is great so yes. she was some of that is like yeah. sort sort of I'm you know I I have a different way of listening and writing just because of my like theory right. not like jazz jazz theory which which is which is um which is both I guess good and it's a bit of a hindrance sometimes in writing rock and I try to sort of balance the two although you know jazz is very raw and edgy and and I always say 
you know, people talk about like the rock and rollers back in the day being partiers and druggies. And I'm like, uh, you should like look at the history of some of these jazz guys, you know, yeah, Charlie Parker and, went and, hard. <laughs> yeah. And the stuff that, and also, and they didn't have the luxury of being like stars, you know, right. or, or like, I mean, they were stars, but they didn't have the luxury of like, you know, getting to stay in like, you know, beautiful hotels and smash the television and things. Right. So, you know, right. So they're like they're hard. They're they're the real deal. Those guys, you know. Um, and it's kind of like the Chloe's explaining her thing, and mine is kind of weird. Where it's like, and I read this interview, another interview, many years ago, uh, about Brian Eno, who he you know he claims he goes, I, I don't really have that much uh, music. Uh, what knowledge. You call it? Uh, yeah well he has knowledge not knowledge music training training type of thing and uh he just does what he does and he hears stuff in his head and 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 i super related to his debut album here come the warm jets Mm. it's very it's very simple but there's like all these layers he can take one thing that just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating but he makes it so interesting all throughout you don't even notice it's the same thing over and over and uh that sort of uh i do that on some things not everything but i was like oh wow it's kind of like but uh i'm robert fripp was saying oh yeah i was you know doing these sessions with you know and he had this guitar that he hadn't changed the strings on ever (laughs) (laughs) and he was like he was like yeah when was the last time you changed your strings they're so incredibly dead and messed up and he goes i don't know but robert fripp says you know, if I was a guitar player, well, he is a guitar player. No, I mean, if I was, you know, basically, you know, being a guitar player, I would, of course, change these strings immediately. What the hell? He said, but they're so dead and screwed up. It has a really unique, weird sound to it. Can I use this on this recording? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's that type of thing where it's like things that an actual trained person would over maybe overthink and do it yeah in that way right where, like, you know it's like i don't know and it's just he goes man how do you get that sound it's like so bizarre it's like weird it's and, almost like ignorance is bliss yeah um not that it's not that you know is ignorant or you're ignorant but it's it's like a sometimes the, the less you know the better musically um but you know but then there's things that i've found where i'll switch around a chord just based on my like let's try this substitution for this chord instead of what we had and we'll and we'll, we'll be like oh oh and so i know, cool. you know and another yeah. thing he he said fripp would be like you can't play that chord and you can't follow that chord with this chord he goes no that's how i hear it he goes you but you can't do it because the a blah 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 and the c yeah you know whatever <laughs> like music theory music theory you can't do that right. it just doesn't work it, it goes well and he goes then then you know would be like you know just trust me just play it that way and and he goes well it works but it's not supposed <laughs> to work you know so right. that, i'm kind of like that yeah and i'm meets, right meets chloe here so it's mm-hmm. like a really cool uh yeah balance of the two um, yeah, it is. And so that's one of the reasons. I mean, you know, obviously we're married and we're partners for life and everything, but you know, like all like many couples you we're like handcuffed. We, bum, ah, bum, bum. like many couples. There it is. Like many couples you go through relationships, you know, at the beginning of relationships and you break up for a couple of weeks and then you but you know, if we if we ever when we would do that, people would be like, "Oh, you guys broke up." Like 
what are you going to do about music? And we're like, oh, we're still going to work together. <laughs> we're like, we are like the best music partners. Yeah, we have a loan. No, <laughs> that is, oh my God. That was funny. No, we were just- We like, have a mortgage to pay. No, that was before the mortgage. Oh, anyway, um, no, but we, you know, we were, we would always still want to work together no matter what. And now, I, I mean, obviously it's better. And um, I mean, we went through the pandemic together. We're, this is it. We're done. We're, we're together. <laughs> forever yeah if we can survive <laughs> that together right. no we were together sure. obviously yeah. every single day and it's just like oh, whatever That's yeah awesome. so um yeah so we so um so anyway yeah i'm i'm so sorry that we've been digressing so no much. this and is great talking, I, i'm okay. talking about how great we are <laughs> and i haven't even gotten to asking you questions yet <laughs> well, one thing i wanted to point it's it's interesting because both uh both fields right rhythmic and kind of pitch oriented have like their parameters you have to like understand right so the parameter of the four four time or the seven eight time whatever you yeah. can only fit so many fills in that or it, as a singer you can you only have so much range high or low so understanding um, key signatures and what works better for you is yeah. a huge, a uh, huge advantage you have because most of like uh, any of it, it's like kind of self knowledge to some degree. And theory, theory pans out a lot and works really well to help you gain that. But as yeah, you I gain agree. that, yeah. it's just it, you know, it's not fact; it's theory. And when it gets yeah. uh, with like uh, Eno and like groups like even Devo going back to what we were talking about before like there's a lot of things in that that don't make sense but work and then it becomes a new well now it's a tritone substitution that's why it works yeah, you find the right after, I agree yeah you know uh prove yourself for why it works and like but it, it, it's cool because it's a creative process it's in in like the thing that doesn't sound good is the next new thing like uh, Miles Davis would, you know, would play the wrong note and now it's the hip note to play, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, and, and also, um, I also try to, I try to not change a key. Mm. If, if Brad yeah. like brings in a song in a certain key, I mean, every once in a while I will, cause I'm just like, I will never get a good performance with this. I find it a challenge to, and I, and that's part of the fun for me and the creative process is to figure out what the voice is in a specific key. Again, every once in a while I will, but most of the time I feel like I don't. Um, and even if I write a song or I start the song and you know we'll finish it together or or I write the whole song or whatever, we, I still even what I wrote it in might not necessarily be what I would ideally sing it in, but I try not to because I think it makes it more interesting. Um, to be able to build the story sonically with how it was originally heard in our heads. Very cool. I almost wonder, I almost wonder if, and you could answer this, Chloe. Um, <laughs> Maybe Audrey could, our cat. She's um, staring at us. Do a lot of the things that I present to you originally, is it usually in the same kind of key? No. Okay. Good. Sometimes you have specific. Sometimes you. Have I always wonder keys. that because I have tinnitus, really super bad, where my ears ring yeah. twenty four hours a day for oh, man. the the last ninety seven. But it's years. a nice tone. I've heard it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, right now, right now it's like. Huh. So I always Wait, wonder if it? I write songs in that key a lot. Not necessarily. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you. But it's no. a good. I have like this note in my head constantly because it's I don't know. Maybe ringing. you do. I'll have to next time you bring yeah. a song, uh, bring a riff, and I'll have to figure out if it's similar to. Yeah. Is that the note? 
Like, yeah. Yeah. It Have... once was a note. <laughs> that's, that's Brad singing. Yeah, that's... <laughs> but no, that's, um, that, that, that's a super fascinating thought because if you, you know, like I, I, from being behind the kit, right. And kind of hitting symbols a lot, like, my drummer, he's starting to wear earplugs now because he's like, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the, I'm hearing the hum. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. snap. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah, we wear, we yeah. wear earplugs. Yeah, we wear, high, we have uh... customs. Yeah. Is he? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. That's oh. bananas. Except even it's actually a little higher than that in my head. Except. <clears throat> but we've worn earplugs. You've worn earplugs for a gazillion years now. Yeah. So I started, I started like, you know, the first 10, 12 years of playing in bands when we were, well, I'm probably as loud as I always was, but uh, especially back then, you're just cranking it up, you know, just blowing my ears out. And uh, I actually feel like I wish. And just even before I was in bands, just playing drums alone, you know. I wish we would have been aware of that, like in school, because I spent, you know, my school years sitting in front of trumpets and trombones right. in jazz band. Oh, uh, because well. I played saxophone. And so, you know, they were in back and I'm just like, that can't be good for young years. Well, you I know? always, so. I, uh, growing up, uh, my, uh, my one grandfather, he was a carpenter his whole life. And then my dad pretty much was too. He could do basically about anything, but, uh, he's always building houses and things, but how many times when you were growing up or whatever, uh, it'd be, you know, mainly like probably in the summer, you're walking around and you could actually hear like workers putting on a roof or something like and blocks away to, yeah. with with a hammer. So they're basically, they were like beating on a snare drum right over, t- you know, their yeah. whole lives. And they were both hard of hearing. Mm. So, uh, you know, nowadays they have the, they have like guns, you know, nail right. guns that do all that stuff. But I just remember growing up, I just hearing hammering from like blocks away, like, you know, some carpenter just putting on a new roof or whatever they were doing, you know? So uh, yeah. it's yeah. the same kind of thing. I've read that um, the most damaging uh, as far as like hearing is evolved is loud and abrupt. So like, like a, a hammer, hit, like the explosive yeah. boom, one hit that because like, yeah. it peaks, that's the most like, uh, like if it's like, ah. it's loud, but it's constant. It's a little different compared to like, ah, Explosive, explosive, explosive. That's supposed yeah, to be yeah. really, yeah. really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. So, I wonder. So like, the lesson is, kids, get earplugs before you play loud rock and roll. Well, I always see that. I see people, hey, Brad, check out this three-year-old drummer playing an entire Rush album or something, you know? <laughs> and and I'm like, oh, that's great. I hope the kid got earplugs in, you know, yeah. whatever, right. you know. Right. Starting that, starting that young, you know? So have you like kind of learning to cope with it? Is it just like trying to completely ignore it or just embrace it? Because that that seems really invasive. Uh, you know, I've I've had it for almost as long as I can remember, so I don't even really think about it. Okay. I just you know yeah. I just write another song. I just write another song. song based on it. <laughs> no, that's another tonal thing around it. No, but that makes you know the guitar feeds back. You know, sometimes it, it's got a hum to it, but we can still track it. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, another thing that's interesting, if I may say, is yeah. uh, when we're rec- when we're recording, they're like, "Oh, do you hear that hi hat or a tambourine or something?" I'm like, "No, 
like I haven't heard a tambourine or a hi hat mm. on a, on a album for years and years. At this point, I just have to trust. But uh, but at the same time, every once in a while, it'll be like Chloe and Mike, who both have like you know a uh, super human oh, Mike, Superman okay, hearing, and I'll go. God, I keep hearing like this weird like click or glitch somewhere. Yeah. And they're like, boy, we can't. They just keep pulling down tracks, and I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Finally, I'll go play. Like there won't be anything left, and they'll be like. Oh, that's it. I do. There is a thing right there. It's the squeak of a. You but know, for some a, reason, a I hear it. And they can't hear it. Like I. Yeah, can I mean, hear it's almost like a feel for you too. I think you almost like feel things. Yeah. Well, I'm very like kind of rhythm oriented. Yeah. So it's like it's yeah. just like eh, yeah. you know, some kind of <laughs> yeah, some yeah. kind of chicka. I, I can like, what is that? I hear like some kind of blip, like a little blah. That, anyway, it's funny. No, it makes sense because like. I, you know, frequencies cancel each other out, especially when you're going through tracks. You know what I mean? Like, so, oh, yeah. you know, some things are going to be in phase and out of phase. But, um, that, that is, that's super interesting. Well, like, I, I'm glad, I'm glad it doesn't hold you back at all. Like, that's inspiring. <laughs> I got to tell my drummer, he's in good shape. You're fine, bud. <laughs> yeah. Wear uh, uh, earplugs. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have the, uh, when I started playing with the romantics and they play really loud and, they're known for playing through their AC30 Vox amps, which are uh, just the worst because they're so heavy. They're very biting. They're, and, well, I mean, they're, they're heavy, great yeah. amps, but they're, but they're so, so I mean, and yeah. they sound great, but they're yeah, just yeah. cranked. Yeah, it's not like a like Marshalls are are bigger, but they're kind of warmer. Sometimes right. I can't even hear a Marshall. It's kind on of, stage, kind of has that right, right. It's like, well, it has this weird low yeah. tone, where someone like a Fender twin or ac30 or just like, bam, just like yeah, cutting cut. through like yeah yep and and then add that you know one of them plays a rickenbacker and the other one plays a telecaster through that very trebly okay <laughs> yep yeah yep. so and then they're on 10 and they were like you know just rocking and then they're looking back like come on let's rock <laughs> and i i'm after like the first couple months playing with them i like oh man i gotta get like real molded fitted earplugs or i'm going to be deaf by the end of the year you know so uh, yeah. i had worn earplugs off and on throughout the years even before that but uh i went to a sensophonics here in chicago which is a well-known audio they're amazing and uh they're way. amazing and had i've gone through i don't know how many pairs of earplugs molded earplugs at this point but they're great once you once you get used to them you can't live without them you know so yeah i mean even going to so many anyway, shows i and say that just for a tip for maybe yourself or even your drummer or whatever yeah. the no. custom ones are actually great they're yeah. just so yeah. awesome the best investment and they're not even that expensive but a really in fact they have like the little what do you call it? Little the filters. attenuators, yeah. And they have like, you know, yeah. different, oh, here's where it blocks out, you know. 25 dB, 15 here's the, dB. Here's the next one, it blocks out even more. And here's the big solid one. I even, at this point, I don't even, ha I had to make me some without them. They're just, just like, solid. They're just solid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, so. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, like I've been, uh, yeah. I, can't, I got this little keychain with like the cheap ones you get from like wherever, like uh, earplugs I have with it me. It still all the helps. Time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. And like, I, I won't, in bars that are too loud, I'll pop them in and like, why were you quiet Same. then? I was like, ah, oh, it's, you know. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Like, um, but one thing. Yeah, I, those that help. Yeah, no, there's something, you know. It's, but um, mm -hmm. one, one more random thought I was thinking uh, with a. So I found it, it has nothing to do with anything, but it's actually, I don't know. Um, 
So, like, on Van Halen 1, they cover a kink song. And on the first uh, Romantics record, they cover a kink song. Um, when are you guys going to cover it? No. <laughs> and, like, it's interesting that you guys opened for Van Halen on their first go-about, and then now you're playing in the Romantics. Is there a... Do you dig the kinks at all? Oh, yeah. I love the kinks. Yeah? In fact, it's kind of funny. And uh, in my book... No, uh, I have all kinds of stories in there, but I was Is it out? saying how... It, is the book out? No, 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 no. Okay. No, we're going through a, a kind of a final final review edit now. Uh, as of last week, I we got through the whole book, my editor and I, and uh, uh, with editing. And now we're doing like starting from the beginning and going through it again, mm-hmm. review and uh, kind of arranging it and this and that. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> there's a story in there about the Van Halen thing before I got into the, get into the, on, in the book about the tour and all that. I said the first time I heard him was in a bar in Columbus, Ohio, actually. Yeah. And uh, in Screams and their first album came out and they were playing You Really Got Me a lot on the radio. That was like their uh, Kinks cover that they did. But I said it was always annoying to me being a big Kinks fan because David Lee Roth didn't get the, uh, uh, lyrics right, right right from the get-go which always annoyed me and i said i said small beans but to me it bugged the shit out Uh-oh. of me you're then i must really bug the shit out of you well, it, well it's like you go the first line goes girl you really got me now you got me so and the first line is girl you really got me going you got yeah. me so yeah which yeah makes, which makes way more you don't say now you haven't even got to that point yet that was the first <laughs> oh, line. God. So anyway, yes, That's big Kinks awesome. fan, and uh, and I didn't even realize that the romantic for years or a couple of years I didn't realize that the romantic that was actually a kink song uh, because it wasn't really on any American releases mm. or or anything. And I had all their albums and everything. And then one day I was listening to the one of the first uh, good. And a thorough, whatever the word is, uh, Kinks compilations called Kink Chronicles. And it's a double album. It's a, it's a kind of a black album cover. And I think it has like some Buckingham Palace guys on the front or something. Buckingham, and uh, yeah. Buckingham Palace guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah get, get them uh, fucking Buckingham Palace guys, you know? And uh, hey, and uh, it's like, you know, the last song or something on the second disc or whatever. And uh, uh, I think, wait a minute. I didn't know that was the case. It was just, and it was in England. It was like a B-side or something, but it never really was over here, but they had found that. I asked them about it later. They said, oh yeah, we heard it on that Kink Chronicles album. So uh, that's where that came from. But uh, that's my, that's my kink story about that. My, <laughs> my, awesome. in- my inside kinks, uh, where they got it from. Getting getting but even further it, away from the handcuffs new album. Well, <laughs> but it totally sounds but it totally sounds like a romantic type song, you know. Right, right. Um and it kind of uh, the tie it back into the to the new handcuffs new album. Um kind Thank of on you. the idea of like a Brian Eno, like that last track, Tobogganine, which is I think you guys' only instrumental track that I've heard. Did that have some kind of Enoisms? That was a really particular, uh, particular cut. Now, and at the very top of the record, there's, there's an instrumental at the very top too. Great uh, okay. um, so, Oh, do they tie together? Oh, anyway, sorry. Um, 
Oh, that's okay. No, look at, I love that. You're like, Oh, you're like full of wonder. You're amazing. <laughs> you're I love it. This has been a lot of fun. You guys are a blast. But, but I know um, I want to do this. I'm like, I'm like, uh oh, I'm gonna have to start stalking you now, Dave, because I feel like we're friends now. <laughs> so, awesome. you know, and I always stalk my, I always stalk my friends. So well, that's what Facebook's. That's what Facebook's for. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to definitely do that. All right. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, so, now, what were you saying? What are you so, saying about instrument? So yeah, I just found it interesting. So was that kind of like to go back to the like kind of Eno influence? Because tobogganing, like listening through, I'm like, this is a really particular track. Like, uh, was it just like an, an idea that you guys had where lyrics didn't fit on top of it? Or was it inspired by that kind of thinking of building off one thing? Because it, it moves. It's not like a Eno tune, but like there's that reoccurring riff. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, like the process with including this with the bunch because uh, the this new bunch of tunes because it's so separate from like the other the records before I don't remember I'm pre yeah uh, like there was no instrumentals to my I remember unless I'm missing something which but uh so yeah I don't know like the idea to kind of include that in like the process with that was that like kind of inspired well, by those like uh artists like that for well first of all the whole record our evolution with this record was based on you know like that old school album oriented vinyl um sort of the early 70s, you know, rock and roll right. glam kind of stuff. So that did so so yes, that the instrumental kind of relates to that because sometimes those bands would do that. And yeah, like we Eno is a big influence on us. Um I don't think we named him in some of the publicity stuff, but he definitely is a big influence um just because of the creativity and the realness and the rawness. Um and it's just it's just good. Um and actually, we do a, a live, we cover an Eno song uh, every once in a while just yeah. to throw in if we want to throw in a cover. Yeah. Um, so so um, and it's a, a singing Eno song, but yeah. um, it's I guess I should name it. It's uh, Needles in the Camel in the Camel's Eyes. Um, so and that's from Here Come the Warm Jets. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was definitely inspired. It was sort of the whole album, including that song, was inspired by that feel and that um and that sort of mindset and what we evolved into try I mean we wanted to try to do this warm sounding real even though I mean we love production and there is some product obviously there's production on the album um warm real sounding early 70s vibe that classic classic not yeah. classic rock but classic right. sonically classic sonically right um, like it was almost supposed to be like a uh, like someone found a long lost album from that from era. that era. Like you know, like you know, we you know we, we were influenced a lot by like Martha Hoople, and Eno, and Led Zeppelin, and um, you know that kind of stuff. People are so, getting away from that stuff, and yeah, to this day, and also our other theory was from you know to this day, young kids. Like I've heard stories that go on. Oh, oh my kid came up to me the other day and said, "Dad, have you ever heard of a band called the Kinks?" Or Led Zeppelin. Or, or, they love hey, Led Zeppelin. I discovered this band called Led Zeppelin. You ever heard of him, Dad? You know, <laughs> they, it's great. And yeah. they go, yeah, my, now my kid's obsessed with Led Zeppelin all of right. a sudden. So that stuff still resonates and it still touches the nerves. So I said, why don't, Let's, it's kind of getting away from that. Why don't we try to write an album? And we love that, that stuff anyway. almost has that same yeah. thing that we still that stuff is still relevant and keep it alive and keep and, the rock and roll alive. And man. it's, a, and it's also got a little different feel because 
I am a, you know, female singer. I don't consider myself a female singer. I'm just a singer, but, um, but, you know, but I do have a different pitch and a different tone and timbre than, you know, are the male rock and roll singers, but I'm still very, very much inspired by them. Um, even though I love plenty of women who sing and play music and write. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, we wanted to kind of incorporate that feel. I think we should be honest about tobogganing. Well, a lot of, I mean, things that resonated with us was, oh, let's produce this production wise, let's do something like that. And like I was telling you before a while back, you know, we were like, you know, who is, can you think of like a, you know, when we were working on the album, can you think of a, how were the background vocals placed, uh, you know, on some record like that? Like when you hear that record, where and then we'd go back, I'd pull that out, or we would pull it up, or whatever, and and we I go and everybody would like a lot of times they would turn to me because my I'm like a music encyclopedia here, and I yeah. go, uh, what's the song that has that? Okay, I know. How about blah blah blah? And then they would pull it up, and I go. Oh wow, they're really acting quite loud. I mean, we or or like or like I said before, it's like, wow, there's not you know nowadays. Oh, you got to have a rhythm guitar and you got a lead guitar and you got a blah blah. It's like wow, there's like nothing when they're doing that solo. There's nothing else on there. It's just the felt like the guitar stopped playing and started playing the solo. You right, know, right, and so we so we would pull stuff out. So anyway, a lot of records or or bits and pieces. Oh man. I love how that one part feels and, or that cool thing. And we got to have something like that. And uh, so bargaining was inspired by a George Harrison instrumental song. Mm. And so, which is, it's pretty obscure, which is pretty much an, an instrumental album. It's an instrumental album. And the reason we were inspired by it, um, we were at there's a big uh, like George Harrison tribute every year birthday here tribute. for his birthday, where like a lot of bands in town and some bands from out of town will come in and, you know, play a couple songs. So we've done a couple of those shows. There's like huge sold out shows. They're very fun. Um, and we did a couple of them. And and one of the songs we picked to do a tribute, you know, like the bands play like, you know, two or three or four songs. Um so one of the songs we picked to do as a tribute was a song from his Wonderwall album, which is the soundtrack for this bizarre movie. Which was his first. Which was his first. The first solo Beatles album, mm. even though Tech, it's questionable it's, how much George had to do with the album. But uh, but I, he I've read. <laughs> has a song. He had a song on it called Ski-ing, and it's S-K-I-dash-I-N-G. And so that, and so we did that song and we were like, this is great. We should do something like this on the new album. And it just, just we like, you know, covered that for a little while. Yeah, we covered it. It's like very short and rep repetitive, right. but. Uh, and it's very, and it's got, and so that is our tip of the hat to his instrumental bit and, and, and not just his, but a lot of other bands who've done instrumental bits, um, a band, band called, there's a band called Bloodwind Pig who, we were inspired by um that was like an offshoot of Jethro Tull and um and they're they're like so amazing and I had never heard of them until just a few years ago um when Brad sort of turned me on to them and um you know so there's like there's like we so that was our inspiration was it was in, it was a tip of the hat to a George Harrison song called and that Speaking. one is pretty a direct 
I need to write something just like that, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, much. but it it's definitely the same riff, but it's like same neighborhood. Style, and, but yeah. but I, we just we just love that feel of it. At the tip of the hat, because we feel like it it didn't get as much attention as it should have, because it was pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Right. And the like, original and the original track is awesome. Yeah, it's that's got, what I'm know, saying. Like you got like to, Ringo and Clapton, and I think yeah. House Foreman's on bass. And yeah. So it's just this riff that goes. Really, and uh, I think. And oh. so we're like, and we, we're like I said, we covered it for a little bit. Yeah. We. That's it oh, we got to, you know, write something like that and stick it on the end of the record. Yeah, so we wanted to do the tip of the hat to that because we thought it was like not noticed enough how creative and cool it was. So that that's where that came about. But it also, again, was inspired. I mean, there was there were bits of Eno in that as well and bits of other Mm -hmm. artists who uh, we really you know even like you know ravi shankar and things like that which obviously was influenced yeah, all kind, know, even in this, that one then, song along like there's all kinds of just uh a lot of influences and different little things i could sit down and say oh that comes from that and that comes from that but it was all kind of entertainment for us yeah at the same time and then maybe somebody will catch it and we've done that throughout our albums all along in a and Sometimes I'll think, you know, oh, this is so obvious, yeah. you know. Tips of the hat and then and, people uh, are like. Then no one will say anything, you know. It's like, oh, I never noticed that before. Like, yeah, so we, you know, we we like to, to we enjoy uh, being able to. It's like when being sneaky. Yeah, being sneaky, but also, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's our, our love for, our love for music and yeah. our, and the music before us. And even the music nowadays, there's, you know, even modern music, we, there's so much of it we love. Um, yeah, it just shows that we just how we, deep it goes, you know. Yeah, we get influenced by things, and we want to showcase what we're what our influences are. So you know, we sometimes wear our influences on our sleeve, which I don't mind. I mean, a lot of bands do that. The Raconteurs do that, and Beck does that, and right. um, Saint Vincent, you know, Saint Vincent, Annie Clark does that. And I think I love I love that they do that. That makes me happy. I love hearing their influences. Uh, again, it's inspiring. Right. Um, and you can, and it, they, and it, you're like celebrating it with them. It's like, it's yes, not as much exactly. on their sleeve. They're wearing the band shirt. They're like, oh, they're a fan of the Ramones. They're wearing the Ramones yes. shirt. I get it. And like, yes. I think uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I think if anything, like we're influenced by something, we should share it. And if we're moved enough to make our own version of it, or not version of it, our own adaptation yeah, of our it, own, because it's yes, exactly. moved us that much. That's 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 so epic, and I love the the tobogganing skiing trade off. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a labor of love for us. Yeah, you we, have to go check it out now. Yeah, yeah. now definitely is, am. <laughs> that album is pretty much kind of annoying. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. it's got a lot of almost snorted coffee through my nose. I mean, I love sitar as much as the next one, but there's a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. like, okay, stuff I, that's really fun to pl- actually stuff that's really fun to play. Yeah, but, but hard, but hard to listen to. So yeah. I, but I appreciate that. It was, it's really enjoyable to play. And uh, but there's about four tracks on there, a little short, little like that skiing, and uh, they all have like weird names, so I can't think of all of them. One, you know, like glass box and right. But anyway, if you kind of skim through that, there's some really cool. A couple cool things on that album, so uh, we're oh, worthy. Definitely, and uh, diehard, diehard people, Beatle people, and things like that. We're like, oh, I still, 
like even when we did skiing, which is obscure enough. In yeah, its when own we did right. the actual skiing. <laughs> yeah. Right. After we played it at that, like, oh my God, I can't believe you played skiing. That is so fucking cool. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like, oh, as soon as you went into it, I knew exactly what it was. You know, people are like, yeah. Like, I. That, but you gotta love the fanatic that that they're sharing with you, and now it's a thing. That's so cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, you guys, oh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed diving into Handcuff's career, and and Brad, I went pretty deep with yours, and I, I was hoping we'd keep this handcuff related. So sorry if we dove um, other directions, but this has been a lot. You guys are a blast. This has been a lot of fun. Oh. We um, can I can I mention our other band members' names please, so that um, okay so um, Emily Togney is our bassist and she also does background vocals. Allison Hinderleiter keyboards. Uh, Jeffrey Kamisiak, uh guitarist, lead guitar, and Kamisiak with an L. No, 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 stop no, it. And um, also we had a guest. Uh, keyboardist morgan fisher played on a couple songs from mop the hoople nice. um who has become one of our very best friends oh, and really? he's he's lovely and um so i just want to shout out to them for and and mike hagler who we've talked about for making this album amazing oh also our friend inga olsen played cello on a couple tracks um and we had a blast also and yeah. i hope i would yeah, ever want to do it again um Hello, everybody. We have a new album coming out, and we didn't talk about that much, which I guess is a testament to how much fun we had with Dave. <laughs> Was it? Well, I'll definitely I'll plug everything at the top. Um, is there any like shows and any? Uh, I know the book is is a thing that's being thought. Anything else we want to plug at the end? Like any gigs coming um, up? Any uh, any ideas of when this book's going <laughs> to drop? Um, well, I'm hoping by the end of the year it'll yeah because. <laughs> got a ways to go i mean uh it's all written we're editing now but then you know you got all the other stuff to do all right. the index indexes and I'll, this and that and photos the, and print and press and i'll plug the record and then me reading through it and making sure no 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 don't put that in no i'm kidding um <laughs> yeah i have not read <laughs> i have not read even a portion of it yet so i'm letting him it's his, it's his thing um what's my thing your book are you gonna so, do? You um, should do the audio book of it. Oh, I will. Yeah, I will do. Oh, I'll do the audio book. <laughs> I will do the. Actually, I will. My do the voice audiobook. is so mumbly and whiny. No, I'm gonna do the audio. He said me. Oh. I should do the audio book. Oh, okay. I will do, do the audio book. Yeah. I'll do my very low voice so that it sounds like a man. No, um, <laughs> not that it matters. Or sounds like a uh, non-binary person. Do your impression. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'll do my Brad impression. No, but uh, I'd like to just the, the album is coming out. Uh, in, I think it's in June, the whole album's coming out. The single I Cry For You is out now. We're also releasing it on vinyl, but because of supply chain issues, uh, it's going to be a while for vinyl, um, months yeah, and months. But we're, we're excited about getting the, the vinyl out um, because that will be true to our vision and our mission. Um, but we're excited about the whole record coming out because it's been a long, there were some trials and tribulations with releasing it and being on a different label. And now we're on a, label that we love and um Pravda Records who are great um our record release show in Chicago will be July 23rd um at one of the coolest clubs in town called Liars Club that's all I got um hopefully we'll get to Cleveland that would be sick have you get where did you, yeah do the handcuffs play Cleveland have you guys done that before 
I don't think we've played Cleveland. Closest. We've played we've Columbus. We've played New York and Detroit and Columbus, Columbus. and Nashville. But we'll do, I would love to do Cleveland because Cleveland rocks, right? Right. I think so. <laughs> I, uh, if we well, had... there's a song. There's a song written about it. There is a song written about it, and it that does a. But as far as like the community itself, like um, uh, the music community we have here in Cleveland is very supportive of all the artists, and like I can go on for a while about how like especially during the shutdown, how much that shined. There was so much vent. Like I, I spent a lot of time working with the places like the Beachland and the Grog Shop, these smaller venues, oh, trying yeah. to keep them going, and w- learning how to stream and do all this nonsense and like. Um, I always forget about the beach. Yeah, yeah, the same thing happened here in Chicago. It was a it was, we came together as a community, um, not just the musicians, but the you know crew people and bars right. and venues and booking people. And it was it was it was pretty great to come together as a community through something that affected us so much, like like so like really hard for so many people. And um. I do feel like we did all come together and I know, and I'm glad to hear that they did that in other cities. Um, Cause it's so important. And I think it made us stronger as a community. It really did. It made us all just want to support each other so much more, uh, which, you know, is just heartwarming. Definitely. And we, and we have I I don't know if you've seen our, we just released a new video oh, for, yeah. our, for our new single or our first single. So there's a video uh, that's I on. Cry for you. And, um, uh, what else? Oh, this is kind of funny. Real quick, uh, when I was finally coming to realization and wanting to get the heck, do something different and update from my first band I had, my first serious good band that I had way back when, <clears throat> when I was putting together Screams. Yeah, I said we got to get the heck, we got to get the heck out of Peoria where we live, Pekin and Peoria, and uh, we almost moved to Cleveland. Nice. <laughs> Well, and only because uh, I used to love uh, the early uh, rock scene magazines. Right. They were a real hit. And they were from Cleveland? No, it was oh. it was out of <laughs> okay. New York, but they had, they were talking about, you know, early bands at the time. Not Frankenstein, but Dead Boys. Right. Uh, who were Paraboo. called Frankenstein before they and uh but it said oh cleveland the new liverpool cleveland the new with bands like the raspberries and blah 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 we're like oh maybe we should move to cleveland but anyway we got detoured and uh, we actually moved and got out to another music town called champaign illinois so anyway almost lived we were almost in cleveland awesome well this was fun guys we'll have a a wonderful the rest of the rest of today and i'll be in touch with you guys soon Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks.